every hour. So it's appropriate, especially now as we approach the Holy Word of God, that we would do so with a spirit of contrition and humility, asking Him for help. So let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we are a needy people in need of your grace every hour, so we pray that you would come and minister to us by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would awaken dull and dead hearts. We pray that you would stimulate right thinking. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified through this word that we're going to meditate on this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Happiness is positive cash flow. So says financier Carl Icahn, and he should know. For him, it's like a mathematical equation, like the one expressed in in, uh, Charles Dickens' David Copperfield. Annual income, 20 pounds. Annual expenditure, 1996. Result, happiness. Annual income, 20 pounds. Annual expenditure, 20 pounds ought and six. Result, misery. The idea is that if you have positive cash flow, then you have the means to acquire what you want, which will then in turn lead to happiness. Of course, we're gathered here this morning as a church, so we're not so crassly materialistic as that, at least we know we ought not be. We know that money can't buy happiness. Happiness is more elusive than that. can't be purchased. And so many people these days are open to the possibility that the quest for happiness is actually more of a spiritual than a material search. Surely that's a good thing. So we have New Age relaxation therapies, We have transcendental meditation. We have yoga strategies. All of these are more spiritual ways to get what everybody really wants, and that is happiness. So I wonder about you. I wonder what is your means to attain that end of happiness, whether it's the more materialistic route or maybe a more spiritual one. Where do you go to find happiness. A holiday vacation and all that it promises. A boyfriend and his affection. Maybe your children and their success. Maybe your job and the accolades that come to you through that. Well, this morning, we're going to consider true happiness from Psalm 1. So if you open up in your Bible to Psalm 1, you will be helped this morning as we consider this quest for true happiness. If you're not familiar with the Bible, but you've got one there in front of you, just open it up to the very middle, and you'll find the Psalms, then turn to the first one, Psalm 1. We're going to consider true happiness, first, where it comes from, secondly, what it looks like, and third, how do you get it? So those are the three points of the sermon this morning. First, where does happiness come from? Second, what does it look like? And third, how do you get it? Let's read Psalm 1. 
Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This psalm, along with Psalm 2, forms the entryway to the literary temple of the Psalms. Those 150 poems in the middle of your Bible that range from the heights of praise and thanksgiving down to the depths of confession and lamentation. Friends, this book of Psalms deals with real life. It has been said, the rest of the Bible speaks to us. The Psalms, they speak for us. God has given them to us in part to teach us how to pray. And this psalm, Psalm 1, shows us the pathway to happiness, or what the Bible calls blessedness. Those words are fairly synonymous. We'll be using them interchangeably. So then, first, the pathway to happiness. Where does it come from? Well, notice verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. We learn where blessedness comes from this definition of the happy man. Blessed is the man who does not. Notice, it begins with a negative definition. What is the happy man not? Well, he's not walking in the counsel of the wicked. And he's not standing in the way of sinners. And he's not sitting in the seat of mockers. He's not doing any of these things. No, that's not the way of happiness. That is the way of misery. That's the road to destruction. Notice the fearful progression that takes place along that road. First he's walking. Then he's standing. And finally, he's seated. He's grinding to a halt. Consider how that paralysis occurs. First, he's walking in the counsel of the wicked. Proverbs tells us that a companion of fools suffers harm. Well, this person listens to their counsel, takes it on board, mulls it over, and then he decides to give it a try. So he stops and stands still. He now stands in the way of sinners, and he begins to do what they do, haltingly, perhaps at first, maybe a bit fearful, feeling guilty. But then after so long of engaging in their ways, he becomes comfortable in those paths, even brazen in them. So now what does he do? Now he sits, sitting in the seat of mockers. Not only does he now practice godliness, he sneers at those who don't join him in it. He has become accomplished at sinning. Just as C.H. Spurgeon put it, he has taken his degree in vice and is a true doctor of damnation. He is installed. 
Well, this is the pathway that leads to destruction. And notice that it all began with simple, friendly advice. Where did the battle begin? It began, do you see, in the mind. I wonder what's happening in your mind. I wonder where you're receiving your counsel from. Who gives you advice anyway? Is your input godly or worldly? Do you, for example, ever go talk to your pastors, your elders, and get advice on major life decisions in that? Or do you tend to absorb your wisdom from successful people in the world or maybe outlets of media or other places? Ask yourself, are you in danger of listening to foolish counsel? Are you in danger of hardening into sinful patterns in your life? Friends, do you see Psalm 1 is a warning for us? The way of the wicked, the way of sinners, the way of mockers, it will not produce the happiness that it promises. To the contrary, it will produce destruction. So then where do we go to attain to this blessedness that we're all after? Well, there's a positive definition of the blessed man. You see that in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So the miserable man meditates on sin, but the happy man, he delights in the law of the Lord. Notice that word, he delights in it. I wonder, does that describe you? Do you delight in the law of the Lord that you find in the Scriptures? You know, we see this idea expressed throughout the Psalms and Proverbs, like Psalm 119, where it says, The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Or, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Friends, where does that kind of passion come from? Sometimes I'm dull spiritually, and I go to the Psalms and I ask, What in the world got into this person? Where did it come from? It came from meditating on God's Word. Verse 2, on his law he meditates day and night. You think about what you delight in. You delight in what you think about. They're mutually reinforcing, feeding on one another. And as you come to know God through his Word, you find yourself delighting more and more in him. Psalm 1 says this joy springs forth through meditation so I ask you does this describe you are you one who actually delights in the treasures of the law of the Lord I think if we're honest we would have to say not exactly you know of the Puritan Thomas Watson who said the reason we come away so cold from reading the Word of God is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. Meditation leads to delight. How exactly does it work? Well, it requires planning. It requires hard work. It requires discipline. Spiritual delight in God's law doesn't just pop up spontaneously any more than a crop of corn pops up in the farmer's field. Yes, God causes the growth, 
But the farmer sows and waters regularly, or else there is no growth. And so you, my friend, must tend to your field. The rich fruit of spontaneous delight grows in a garden well watered by meditation. So then, keep your regular appointments with God. If you're not regularly meditating on the law of the Lord, you're not going to experience the delight that's being described here. Instead, you're going to be shriveled and anemic and, I fear, fruitless as a Christian. We can take it on the authority of God's Word. So when you hear the word meditation, which religion do you think of? Well, you probably think of Buddhism or maybe New Age philosophies or yoga. How is it that we let other religions hijack this biblical discipline from us? Of course, their approaches to meditation are very different than ours. The Eastern understanding of meditation is to empty the mind. This says just the opposite. Fill the mind with what? Verse 2, on his law. He meditates day and night. So are you hungry this morning? Then think of meditation as eating the Bible. Spurgeon said it is good to eat into the very soul of the Bible until at last you come to talk in scriptural language so that your blood is bibline and the very essence of the Bible flows from you. You know all the great men and women of church history, the ones whose statues are outside this building? They experienced this. They were saturated in the Scripture, so if you prick them, they bleed Bible. That was their secret. None of this, of course, comes easily. It's hard work, but it's worth it. As one preacher put it, raking is easier than digging, but you only get leaves. If you dig, you may get diamonds. How do we do it? Well, we avoid merely hearing the Bible in a sermon like this one. We go beyond merely reading the Bible on a regular basis at home to actually thinking about it, considering it, pondering it, applying it. I've been told you Scottish folk like your tea in the morning. Consider meditation like a cup of tea. You are the hot water, and the Word of God is the tea bag. So, hearing God's Word in this sermon this morning, it's one plunge of the bag. Going home and regularly reading over the passage of Scripture in the afternoon, well, that's like another one, additional plunges of the bag. But meditation, according to Don Whitney, is like immersing the bag completely and letting it steep until all the rich tea flavor has been extracted and the hot water is thoroughly tinctured reddish-brown. Friend, meditate on God's Word until your heart becomes happy, until you become warmed through communion with Him, challenged, convicted, and then you spill over into prayer. See, meditation is the bridge between Bible reading and prayer. Meditation is prayer in response to what God has said to you. Let me encourage you. From now on, let God start your conversations instead of you. As you read the Word, allow that to drive what you pray for. 
Well, as we move on, let me make four practical tips for biblical meditation. Four practical tips. Number one, set a daily appointment with God and keep it. Number two, plan how you're going to read your Bible. Don't be haphazard, but actually formulate a plan. I recommend that folks go sequentially, chapter by chapter, through books of the Bible. Read for both breadth and depth. Number three, take a verse with you every time you read. Don't just read something and then walk away, but rather take a nugget with you to mull over throughout the day. And then practical tip number four, find an accountability partner. Find somebody who loves you enough to ask you, hey, how's your meditation in the scriptures going? Those are ways, very practically, we can meditate on the law of the Lord. And if we do so, God promises happiness. He promises blessedness. He promises total well-being, which is the thrust of that word. That's what Psalm 1 says. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. So then we've seen where this blessedness, this happiness comes from. comes from filling your mind with the law of the Lord. Let's consider now, secondly, what does this look like? What does it look like? What we see in verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. So the wicked one is blown away like chaff, but the righteous one... The one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, he has strength and rootedness, stability, like a tree planted by streams of water. As was mentioned earlier, we live in Arabia. And take a 30-minute drive out into the desert, you'll find yourself very quickly in a barren and lonely and dry and hot place with these massive reddish-brown sand dunes. And as you drive along, Nothing else to see for miles and miles. But every once in a while, you see a tree. Sometimes a sizable tree springing up there in the powdery sand. I often ask myself as I'm driving along, how did that tree get there? How is it sustained in the barrenness of the Arabian desert? Well, it must be because it's got a water source under the ground. Because there's no water above ground. And that's how it is for the man who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. Did you see that in verse 3? He is like a tree planted by streams of water. If the tree is situated beside a water source, it doesn't matter the conditions outside. It can survive, even thrive in drought conditions. And so what about you? I wonder, have you become impervious to the conditions, the circumstances around you? Are you buffeted by trials and troubles? If so, then, friend, sink your teeth into the meditation of the Word of God. You will find that you draw up living water, water that can sustain you when every other well dries up. So if you're a non-Christian here this morning, I wonder, do you see how realistic the Bible is? Notice what it doesn't say. It's not saying... You will only have good things happen to you if you become a good person. If you follow the rules, then blessedness will come your way. No. The Bible recognizes that we live in a sin-stained and fallen world. 
Suffering is a reality. In fact, we ourselves, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we struggle with our own frailties and weaknesses. There are seasons of barrenness. We confess it freely. There are seasons of fruitlessness. Verse 3, the tree yields its fruit when? In season. The sovereign Lord is the one who determines the times and seasons. But this blessed man, he overcomes even in the midst of his trials. Notice verse 3, his leaf does not wither. If the leaf withered, he would be dead. Here's the point. The blessed man meditates on the scriptures in good times and in bad when he feels like it and when he doesn't. So don't allow your subjective experience of your quiet time to determine whether you're going to meet with the Lord. And then contrast that with the wicked man here. Verse 4, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. In Arabia and Central Asia, they often separate the wheat from the chaff through these devices where they throw up in the air the wheat and then the wind takes the chaff and blows it away because it's so lacking in substance. It's light. And the heavier wheat settles to the bottom. That's how it is for the wicked man. He's superficial. He's light. He just gets blown away by every wind. He may appear to prosper for a while until the wind comes. Well, if you're here this morning as one who's a follower of Jesus, I wonder which one describes you. Are you more like wheat? Are you more like the tree? Or are you like chaff that's being blown away? Are you superficial in your faith? Well, if so, then what do you do? You find your delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on the law day and night. And then you won't be blown away by the currents of this age. You will be rooted established, planted like a tree beside streams of water, then you will have true stability, true blessedness, true happiness, just like this man of Psalm 1. And so we've seen this blessedness first. We've seen where it comes from. Secondly, what it looks like. Thirdly and finally, how do you get it? How do you attain to this blessedness? Verse 5 and 6. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Do you see that there are but two ways to live? There is the way of righteousness, and then there is the way of wickedness. There is no middle alternative according to Psalm 1. And in fact, your eternal destiny rests on which of those two camps you find yourself in. For those who walk in the counsel of the wicked, their expectation is only a looming judgment. You see that in verse 5? Politically incorrect as it may be, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Why won't they stand? Because they will collapse under the scrutiny of a holy and just God. No, they will be expelled from the assembly of the righteous. Some people think that language is a bit angular, a bit exclusive. But you know, Jesus himself was clearer than anyone on the exclusivity, on how high the stakes are. Say in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus warned, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, 
and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Friend, the most in question, important question for you this morning is, which one are you? Can you stand in that judgment? Can you look into the very law of the Lord and not flinch? What does it look like to attain to that kind of law? Well, keep your finger in Psalm 1 and turn ahead to Psalm 15. Psalm 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. Friend, I ask you, does that describe you? The law of the Lord is searching. It convicts us of our sin. So, if we fall under this standard, then how can we look into the law of the Lord and delight in it? Isn't our every instinct to do just the opposite, to run from it? How can we delight in the law of the Lord? Well, only one man could truly do that. Only one man truly delighted in the law of the Lord. Only one man meditated on the law day and night. Of only one man could it be said, verse 3, whatever he does prospers. Of only one man do we read, he has done all things well. You see, Jesus is the one man. He is ultimately the blessed man of Psalm 1. Jesus is the one, isn't he, who meditated on the law day and night in Mark chapter 1. He's praying early in the morning. In Luke chapter 6, he's praying all night long. In the Sermon on the Mount, what is Jesus doing? But thinking out the implications of the law. His whole life was an outworking of the meditation on the law of the Lord. In Hebrews 10.7, it says of Jesus, I have come to do your will, O God. Jesus is the perfect man. The one who perfectly attained to this blessedness of obedience to the law of the Lord. He was like a tree planted by streams of water. In fact, he was more than that. Remember that time in John chapter 4 when he was talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman? an outcast of society, he said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. And you know what she said to him? She said, tell me where to find this water. And Jesus said, he who believes in me will never be thirsty. 
two years later, Jesus was thirsty as he suffered on the cross. Even then, even in the torment of his crucifixion, he was meditating on the law of the Lord, quoting from Psalm 22, nailed to the cross, bearing the wrath of God in the place of sinners, crying out in anguish, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you can bet that he was meditating on the whole of the psalm, the conclusion of which, Psalm 22, is this, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Do you see Jesus thirsted so that we might drink of his life-giving waters? You see, Jesus was parched so that we might be like trees planted by streams of water. Jesus fulfilled the law so that you, sinner though you are, might look into the law of the Lord with delight. So why should you delight in the law of the Lord this morning? Because the law points us to Jesus Christ. The Bible is the word of a living person, Jesus. And He is the one who has perfectly fulfilled the law on our behalf. And as we meditate in the Scriptures, we commune with Him. So then, yes, let us delight in the law of the Lord. Not because we have attained it, but because it leads us to Jesus Christ. It lays us bare before the eyes of the one whom we must stand before. Let us meditate on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Friend, I ask you, do you want to know true happiness? Then meditate on the law of the Lord and let it lead you to Jesus Christ in whom you will find your delight even in the midst of a drought. Let's pray. O oh Lord, how sweet is the obedience of Jesus Christ on our behalf. What a sweet exchange He worked for us at the cross of Calvary, such that we might receive His righteousness, credited to us freely as a gift of grace, and that He bore our penalty on the cross. O oh Lord, in light of our union with Jesus Christ, help us to look full on into the law of the Lord. We pray that you would give us stamina and endurance. Give us the resolve to meditate day and night that we might be like a tree planted by streams of water. Transform us, we pray. Make us into fruitful followers of Christ. For Jesus' sake. Amen.